Welcome to Witch, the Women in Technology Creative Industries Hub, elevating the voices of women in tech. My name is Bishi, the founder of Witch. In this podcast, I'll be talking to a woman in tech about her work, journey, life, and process. In this week's episode, I'll be talking to noirish synth wizard Hinako Omori about her solo work and stage work with the likes of Kay Tempest and Ed O'Brien. Please do like, review and subscribe. We're a new podcast and every bit of support helps. Welcome to the Witch Podcast, Creative Women in Tech. Can you tell me, where did your journey with music begin? Um, firstly, thank you so much for having me, Bishy. It's always such a pleasure to see you. Um, my journey with music, uh, I guess it began when I started playing the piano. Um, so I started playing the piano when I was five. My mum very kindly got me some lessons and um, it, I was learning classical piano at the time. So I guess that's kind of the very... Uh, beginning of my journey I guess yeah and yeah I just continue playing and I still play now not so much classical though I very much love um love classical music but yeah that's kind of where it started in a way. Um, what were the first pieces of music to really make a big impact? Oh, uh, I think what do you mean to play or just in general to to uh, absorb I think to play and to listen to. Sure. Uh, so I loved Chopin. I loved romantic music and to play is such a joy. Like the idea of, I don't know, yeah, I think the world that he created was just so magical and it's still, to this day, I'm still just fascinated by him and his work. Um, so that would be, so his nocturnes, I think, when I learned them, I was just, yeah, in awe of his, his, his magic. Um, but then I think... I started getting really into electronic music when I was at college and I think a big influence for me, and I feel like I always come back to this, but um, a band that I was just utterly obsessed with was, was The Knife. I think when I first heard their um, Deep Cuts album, I was just, yeah, it just took me to somewhere else because for me, I'd not, not, not really heard anything like that before. And I think um, I had quite an interesting uh, musical upbringing. My parents listened to quite diverse, but very sort of, uh, I don't know what the word is, but yeah, very different um, genres. It was never like, you know, we grew up listening to one thing or another. So for me, that um, the knife really struck a chord. Like it really um, was very inspirational for me. It struck a chord, a positive thing. I never know that phrase. It is, it is what a positive thing? You know when you say it struck a chord, is that a positive thing? I think it is. I think it is. But then I also think that even when you have a strong reaction, which is negative, I also tend to see that in a really positive light. Okay, yeah. Well, I meant in a, it struck a chord in a very, it struck a major chord, a very nice positive chord. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Also, or to be fair, minor chords are, are, are pretty good as well. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this context, it was a very positive chord that it, uh, that it struck. <laughs> When you were studying, you were studying music tech at college. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the first synth that you were introduced to? I think the first synth that I... I think the first thing, synth that I owned was the Korg MS-2000B. Um, that was... And actually, that was around the time, I remember really clearly, that the OC came out and the Imogen Heap's song. That's the first time I'd heard Imogen Heap and... Um, 
What's that song called? The beautiful song with the vocoder. Oh, um, uh, um, speak, speak. Um, yeah. Uh, speak. Yeah. The, the main track that, yeah, I mean. It's so mean because Imogen's a friend. Imogen, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry. I know you're, you know, I, you know when you're so immersed in someone's music. Yeah. You know it's cool. Yeah, I'm such a huge fan and I just, I can't even yeah. the title of the, of the track. But um, anyway, that, that I think that's when... I first come across Imogen's music, perhaps, and since then, obviously, I've seen her beautiful show comes, you know, so many times, and yeah, really been delving into her work. But um, but yeah, but that was when I think I was like, oh, I've got this vocoder on this synth. Let's let's try it, and and it really helped me sort of get into the ins and outs of the synthesizer a lot more. Um, but that was the first one that I'd played with, I guess. Yeah. And what music software did you start using at college? Was it Cubase or Logic? Uh, Logic, uh, it was Logic actually at college, yeah, Logic and Sibelius. We did a lot of scoring for our, um, our compositions and things like that. So it was mainly Sibelius, but obviously Sibelius, the playback isn't great and it's very uh, MIDI, <laughs> MIDI sounding. Not, that's not the, that's obviously Sibelius is more of a, you know, I guess mainly scoring and not so much of a playback device but um so yeah we'd score in Sibelius and then uh working logic for the sounds and recording yeah that's amazing wow and so what I did so I did some training in Cubase I got logic um when I was at Central St Martins I did some um what's the really posh one <laughs> I'm sounding slow <laughs> <laughs> Pro Tools. I did some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strangely, I did some Pro Tools at, at art college. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that the way the programs have developed, they're so much more user friendly now. To, to you know, to be able to create certain sounds, to be able to to create certain sound palettes, uh, to edit in a certain way, you had to have a lot of knowledge before. Whereas everything has become much more user-friendly, which I think is a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. And I'm slowly seeing how Logic is trying to behave like Ableton. Not that that's a bad thing either. Um, but um, yeah, now I use a mixture of Logic and Ableton. I use Ableton for interesting live stuff. But there's something about the functionality of Logic that I really, I just really love it. I mean, I just need to... The only thing that I regret with my journey with music technology is I really managed to convince myself that everything was so hard and that it was beyond my capability, you know. And I think a big part of doing which is to try and, I don't know, maybe heal that in some way and think, why did I convince myself that this was so difficult and so beyond me? And I think we all do that, you know. Have you always felt confident about technology or...? Absolutely not. No, I'm totally with you. I think... Um, when when you were at school, did you have any access to sort of more engineering sides of things, or in terms of like the sorry, just okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. in terms of um, in terms of like I don't know, uh, sort of recording or 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 any any engineering side, like did you have any courses or classes that were yeah 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 we did, and actually the boys I was the only girl, but the boys in my class were <clears throat> absolutely brilliant, and they they've gone on to produce little mix, so I oh. can hear, yeah, I can hear their influence and they were they were doing i mean they were jazz trained they were classically trained, they were highly highly trained, but they were into making really noisy drum and bass 
Um, and they were brilliant. They were funny. They were they were great, actually. I, I really like, and, and, and it's one of those things that it was very evident that they wanted to go off into commercial pop. And it was very evident, even at 16, you know, I had already discovered Laurie Anderson and Philip Glass mm-hmm. and this contemporary classical thing. It, it was so obvious which direction I, that, that we were all going in. And we've actually gone on to succeed on our own terms in our own ways, which is an amazing thing to be able to say. Um, but yeah, they were, they were great. But I, I think, I think manuals used to really scare me. So I love the world of YouTube um, and the, and the YouTube tutorial. I'm really like into that. I think it's really democratized the process. And yeah, I even, I started, performing at film premieres and stuff when I was a teenager. And I had a setup. I just convinced myself it was too hard. It was, you know, the, the internet was just up and running then. So, you know, and we didn't even have that much access to the internet. I, I think that's never really been discussed that there's a generation who were there as, as teenagers at the beginning of the internet. But it wasn't just dial-up modem. It was actually really expensive. You, you, you only certain kinds of households could afford it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I found manuals really scary, which I think, like, more and more, like, I'm more into spreadsheets. And, like, I just... <laughs> thankfully, that has gone out of the window. Um, but did you, did you feel supported in your learning environment to really learn about all of this stuff? Uh, definitely, I think I think um, the reason I, I asked about your your school background and stuff because I was just curious as well because so I went to an all girls school until I was fifteen, sixteen, yeah, until college, and um, I, I don't know. I mean, personally, I, I'm not really sure about the idea of separating, you know, you know, in schools and genders. Yeah. Separating genders, yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the only experience I had at school, so I can't really compare it to anything else. But I think I don't recall there being a huge amount of scope or you know, um, time to sort of explore your hobbies a bit more, I guess. And I think so. I didn't even know music technology was well, obviously, I knew it existed, but I didn't know that it was a possibility or that we could even explore that area. And when we got to choosing our A levels it came up on this syllabus and I was like, oh, what is this? Like, and, and it kind of really made me curious. And then I went to the open day for a sixth form and I realized that it was incredibly, uh, I hate to say basic, but it was just not, there wasn't a huge amount of energy that was put into that particular course. And I just thought it might be worth exploring somewhere else and seeing what other facilities there are. Just just before I like really, you know, decided to move on to the same, it was basically the same school. I was a college at the same school. Yeah, yeah. And then um, a friend of ours mentioned Waggett College and I went to their open day and oh my God, it was like, it was a completely different world. They had a, two studios, they had a drum room, they had all this equipment. They had, at the time they had an analog desk, but thank, um, unfortunately when I joined, uh, they'd they'd got rid of that and they'd moved more into digital recording, which is you know, which is still which is still amazing. But um yeah, it was just all this access to all these microphones and it just felt really I don't know, I just was so inspired just by being there for that open day that I was like, this is what I wanna do. And um and there was about there I think there were about twelve of us in the class in the year group. Uh largely guys. There were four of us, I think, girls, maybe more, maybe four or five. 
in our year group. But, um, but the thing is, that I think that was also the first experience in education where I had, there were both girls and guys in, in the same room. But it was very equal. There was no, everyone was really supportive of each other. That you didn't really feel the, the disparity, you know, the gender disparity or anything at all. It was very, um, yeah, it was very supportive and equal, I thought. So that was a really, really good experience. And that was from 16 to 18. Yeah. So those were really important years for me, I think. Um, yeah. 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 That, like, that's really interesting because I think, uh, obviously, there's, we're really looking at gender and representation and, 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 and all kinds of issues at the moment, especially in the music industry. And I have to say that the actual men that I've actually worked with, so the producers, the engineers, the people that I've toured with, have all been totally brilliant. The, mm. the people involved in the actual process, it's more on the industry side where there's just a whole bunch of weirdness and all these kind of made-up rules, which are all to do with basically people not believing that they can make a profit of right. it, you know, and that's what it boils down to. But when it comes down to producers, especially producers and engineers and mixers and, you know, I've had a really formidable experience. Mm. I think because I've had such an unusual journey, um, the reason that people want to take me on professionally is because they believe in it, you know, and, you know, they, they, they know that I'm coming from a very indie background. They know that it's very actually like it looks really epic and sounds epic but it's made from a completely DIY perspective so when people work with me it's because they actually really believe in 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 who I am and what I'm doing and I feel that that's been another very different different um I, I feel that when it's come to journalists or like when it's come with yeah well when it's come to certain contexts I've definitely felt the full weight of sexism but in the actual making of the work mm. nothing but absolute respect and mm. still on you know I, it, like, it, like have you had a similar have you had a similar totally, yeah absolutely and I, I I'm completely with you I think um when I was at uni um I I feel like I was a so I studies engineering at uni and there was 30 of us in a year so every year there was about 30 people and again I think there were maybe 24 guys and six girls, but um, we were all very, you know, we all just felt really equal and mutual respect for each other. We all helped each other out. And I think, luckily, I always bump into course mates when, when we're doing work things, you know, a lot of them went on to work in studios in London and it's such a small world, isn't it? Anyway, like this music industry and you always bump into friends and extended friends. And I think there's something really special about the music scene here that it just feels very inclusive and especially in the creative side, you know, like, like you say, producers and engineers and artists and musicians. And so I've had nothing but really magic experiences with, with our friends, which has been really, really nice. Um, of course, yes, I think there has been some times where I felt uncomfortable in terms of, you know, being sort of, what's the word, you know, being uh, judged for, you know, they're thinking, oh, you know, it's, it's actually more in the live environment, I would say, not with my colleagues, because I love every one of them. And we've all got mutual respect for each other. It's more that, say, for example, we've arrived at a venue and the local crew perhaps have been a little judgmental on what they believe I can do. So that's, that's something that I've sort of struggled with a little, you know, it's, it's never gotten in the way, but I just 
you know, it was very, you, you felt that energy, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that still needs a lot of work. And there's obviously a lot of areas that need a lot of work, but I think, I think just from our chat just now, it feels like we've both been quite lucky in our, in our circles of friends and, yeah. and music be a very you know it should be a very warming and loving experience like it should be something that we can uh you know it's an exchange of creative energy i guess and and if it comes from a good place then that's that's when you make the best you make the best of the situation and, and something happening you know, something magic happens hopefully yeah. yeah yeah i think and i think it depends i think it's like i think it's there's more pressure if you've got some massive deal and a bunch of money and pressure and people involved and people in you know that there's I think in a way coming from a very DIY coming from a very indie sensibility and making all of this stuff mm. such a different experience because you're coming from the outside you know you're not coming from the inside you're, you're, you're not right. coming from from like the label the indie major system I think within that system there's a lot of weirdness because there's just yeah everybody's just trying to make sure that they keep their job and they get their rent paid or like, like, or whatever, but coming from the really kind of DIY sensibility or yeah, or just, or, or, or just even like the, the really big artists that I've worked with, it's because they really saw something of value um, on a, I think on a really holistic level rather than they're trying to get with me because you know, like they think that it's going to be good for their career or something. I think that's when the problems start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but speaking of the amazing artists that you've worked with, we'll, 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 we'll talk about them all. Um, but how did you get into session work and into touring work? Because you've toured with and worked with some incredible acts and some incredible artists. I'm just very lucky that they, uh, they allowed me to be part of their group. <laughs> Um, to be honest with you, and I know this is a very, I've always worried, uh, not worried, wondered if this is so, something that, because uh, it doesn't sound like I've, I don't know, what am I trying to say? Basically, I guess a lot of people that I work with have had a clear vision from the beginning. And the reality is actually I've just sort of known that I wanted to work in music, but I never really had a clear path. So it always sounds like I've kind of... <laughs> You know, it's not like a, it, yeah, I just wish I'd, it sounded like, you know, I, I thought about it a bit more and I'd gone from A to Z and, you know, followed a particular path. But I actually just didn't even know that session playing was a career option at all. Like, I didn't know it was a thing until I left uni and um, I was in a band at the time with a friend. Um, do you remember Kaimarama? Did you ever come to yeah. uni? Yeah. <laughs> so, right, so I was in a, in a band with our friend William Robertson, who was... One of, one of the family, you know, I guess everyone knew each other in that club, didn't they? Um, so we were, we were playing a gig together in London and his friend came to one of the shows and he was a session drummer. He is a session drummer still, an amazing session drummer. And um, he just said, oh, you know, I really enjoyed your gig. Have you ever thought about doing session playing before? And didn't really know what it was. I kind of, you know, I, I asked him a lot of questions and he set up an audition for me and... Luckily, I got I got the gigs. I ended up touring with this artist for maybe a few months. It was like quite a short, like a radio tour around the UK, and we did a festival in Germany. And that was like my first taste of what it was like to to work in that world. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was um, really insightful. I got I, I learned a lot from everyone, and I thought um, 
I'd love to try this again or continue it in a different way. Um, but I also had a full-time job at the time. So I was working at Able and um, working for a festival and doing other bits and pieces. So I guess I could never really fully commit to doing a tour, per se. Um, I always had it as a, something I loved doing, but I could dip in and out every now and again. But then I think a few years down the line, I, so I started playing with my friend Georgia, who I met through the festival and we're really, you know, really good friends. I feel like she's like my sister. Um, but we started playing five years or so ago, I think 2015, around then. So it was when her first CP came out and um, we were sort of building her show together. And then it got to the point where I was getting quite busy and I realised I really wanted to be fully committed and I don't want to sort of you know, be half there and then half having to work while we're on the road. And I felt like I was, I wanted to put all my energy in one place. So I ended up leaving my job and going freelance. Um, and that gave me more time to focus on more, you know, more of the creative side. Um, not that the job before wasn't creative, but it was more of a marketing role, you know, and um, yeah. And I, re I just learned so much from drawing with G. Uh, and then through G, I met Kay, Kay Tempest, and they, they took me on the road um, and it was, yeah, it was just such a lovely energy. So Kay's touring family are all friends, like from a very young, like, you know, they all went to school together or they met on the road, like Kay and Archie, who's Kay's nitty tech, is, um, they were in a band together before, so it was a really lovely family vibe. So yeah, so kind of, I, I guess it's always through connections with friends, you know, and things like that. Um, yeah. Which yeah. really, really nice and comfortable and... Really special. Yeah, well, you were, you were, you know, that first initial, I mean, I think that Kay Tempest is a, they're like, they're a legendary voice, although that, that word legendary is really loaded. I think that they are an iconoclast in their own right. Just um. that novel that they wrote and all of the poetry and there was one, presentation for the BBC I think it was a part of a live performance art thing mm -hmm. um, I think it was called live now I think because I, I tried to apply for the same uh, oh. project and and didn't get it but you know but you know it was so amazing to see to, to see Kay and, and, and you and everyone live but that that was unbelievable I mean it, it must have felt unbelievable to feel that kind of energy that their first flowering um, of course because they've gone on to you know progress even more as a poet and as a force for change yeah I guess I'm trying to say that Kay Tempest is a complete force for change um, uh, oh I totally agree I, yeah it must be what does, it, what does it feel like to be on stage with them especially in that first you know you know, when the novel came out and the poetry book came out, that, that first flowering of their album, what did that feel like as a keyboard player? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't know how to summarise the, yeah. the, uh, how much I've learned from Kay and just being around them and I respect them so much. Like, you know, uh, I guess we all feel the same towards Kay because... Their work is so prolific and beautiful and really comes from the heart and you can just feel, yeah, you can just feel that from, from their words. It's really beautiful. Um, I joined the team a few years later, I think. So Kay had already been in a band. They'd released their novel. Uh, Georgia used to be in Kay's band, which is how I met Kay. Yeah, so Georgia was in summer for a while. 
and George and Kay have known each other for a long time too. Um, so I think family, um, their families know each other very well. Um, so, so I joined in 2017, so it was probably a few years into their, their touring, uh, their, yeah, their touring career. Their career, you know what I mean? Like then a few years after they'd already started touring their record. Um, but yeah, I really learned so much from every single person in the team. Like yeah. it's, it's quite a small unit, but that's what makes it also so special. Everyone is so invested, like everyone has so much love for the project, which of course, like we will do. And um, it's a very creative way, the approach to the, the show. I don't think I've been involved in a live show like it before. Like the way that it's programmed. So Archie, who I mentioned earlier, is an incredible tech. And I think Archie and Dan, so Dan Carey, who's Kay's producer, I think they work together a lot to, to um, put together this live show experience where I think a lot of, basically every show is quite different in that even though the parts and the sounds and, and the words are largely the same, it really depends on Kay's flow as well. So sometimes, you know, the, the rhythm could be different. It's all free flow. There's no, there's no um, tempo or there's no click or anything like that. So obviously in the samples that I'm triggering, some, there is a, an element of the pulse that we we sort of mould the show around Kay's words. So wow. the, the, the length of it can be quite different sometimes, or sometimes we'll, have, we'll segue and do something else. You know, it's quite, it's quite fluid in that way. And it's really, um, it's really fun to play. Like I've, every time I come on stage with Kay, I'm just, yeah, I'm beaming. Because <laughs> it's such a different experience every night. <laughs> Yeah. So it's almost like jazz improv then. I think there's yeah, a common I think there's a common misunderstanding, I think especially with a lot of live shows now, that oh you just press a button and then it's all just music and it all just runs. And it can be, I mean I've seen full bands on stage and it's like, dude, that is way too much of a produced sound. Like it's fine. They're, they're, they're and, and and you know what? I think that's also an approach. I think fans people are so used to um production of a high finish mm. that you know that's fine if, if, they, if they want if a band want to recreate that for their live experience and they feel that's the most authentic way of bringing that across personally i don't really have a problem with that you know i, I used to feel very self-conscious about that and now i think well it, it's just an approach but so that's really interesting so you're live triggering all of these samples and yeah 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 all off Novation, or I think I've noticed that you've had Novation stuff on stage. Do you use Novation, or do you use any other programs? Or uh, so we mainly work on Ableton. Um, right. Ableton <clears throat> houses all the samples, and we, uh, well, I say we've Dan and Archie have, uh, have basically cut up all the elements. So it's kind of you know it's it's very fluid in that we can pair things with other things and 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 improv, I guess in a way. You know, obviously there is a, a, is a certain element of structure in, in a song and, and you know that these parts come in at a certain time but also it's very free to experiment a bit more um, and on top of that we have a, synth there, like a synthesizer on there an old stage set up so we can play other sounds over the top um, so yeah it's, it's fun it's very freeing you know like it's there's no there's no backing track it's just it, you can sort of hold it to whatever the situation and so yeah like obviously I have to talk a little bit about Ed O'Brien lol <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what's it like performing with Ed? Oh, it's very dreamy. I think, I, again, I have so much respect for Ed as well, and it, he's really, yeah, it's, 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 so, it's amazing to absorb his, you know, obviously he's got such an amazing history of, of his work, and it's really magic to, to, be, to be able to experience, you know, his, his new solo career as well. Um, to be fair, I haven't been playing with him very long, so Ed's album came out in May, I think, during lockdown. Such a shame it came out during lockdown because we had plans to tour in the States and things like that. But, um, you know, it is what it is and we'll, we'll, hopefully we'll be able to do that sometime soon. Um, so in Ed's, you know, the end, there's five of us. There's Ed, Ross the guitarist, Dish the bassist, Alfred drummer and me. And very, uh, I feel very uh, privileged to be able to play together with them. It's such an amazing band to play with and, yeah, it's been really good fun. And again, there's no, not that, this should be a surprise, I guess, in, in live shows at all, but we don't have a track or anything like that. It's all very live and we just kind of, yeah, it's the energy of, I think, yeah, it's important to sort of feel the energy at the time and that, that sort of dictates how, how it grows on stage, I guess. I heard Ed on, on a podcast, um, I can't remember which one it was, I think it was Loud and Quiet. Okay, yeah, yeah. Talking about feminism and black lives matter and trans issues and it was it just the kindness that comes out that his self his self-awareness and his kindness it's just like so inspiring and we just need more men who are saying things like that expressing it in the way like you can hear how he's processing the issues of the day you know it, it, it's not just glib I mean not that I think it would be anyway but you can really hear how he's taking in how the world is changing how people need to respond to certain issues how how men need to talk about certain things and it's just so inspiring it's just like god thank god, <laughs> yeah, thank god somebody who is just so kind and sensitive about this stuff. Um, and so what projects have you been working on during lockdown? Uh, I've been lucky to do some collaborative projects with some friends that I've been meaning to do for a while. Um, so some remixes and things like that as well. Um, the main thing actually that I've just come back from that we were talking about earlier is um, it's a project for WOMAD. Well, it's, for, it's Real World Studios and WOMAD. And um, unfortunately, we couldn't, run the festival this year so they're running a an online immersive experience where listeners can put headphones on and be immersed in this in this hopefully yeah uh, you know nature environment perhaps um so so ollie who's the head engineer at real world is a, is a good friend and he very kindly invited me to come and do one of their slots like it's like an online festival so it's one of the performances i guess he thought it would be fun to to do some binaural recording of nature so I went up the day before and we took a dummy head out into the forest and to the lakes and recorded some um some nature sounds because I guess that's one thing as well I think I don't know if you feel the same but during lockdown you kind of we've all had to slow down so much but also because we can't really go anywhere we're hopefully connecting more with the nature around us and just trying to absorb as much of you know um just the all the beautiful things the world has to offer really you know I think that we're really lucky here so I live in Hackney and we have the marshes down the road and it's just such a beautiful place 
because I found that I'm taking more walks and getting to know this neighbourhood better and I wanted to incorporate that a lot into the into the um, the immersive concept. So I so we did some research and went down to East Hartree in the car um, to Tree Valley. It's, I think the area is called the Mendip Hills. It's really beautiful. So I didn't know. Uh, so it said Mendip Hills A O N B, and apparently that means an area of outstanding natural beauty. So I think it's like a protected area. Um, so yeah, so. It, was very lucky to spend a day there with Katie, who's one of the engineers at Real World. And yeah, we did some final recordings and took it back and, and put that on top of the music that I'd made for the festival. And yeah, so that's that's been something that we've been working on and I got back yesterday. So that's, I think we've wrapped the project hopefully and I think it's coming out in September sometime. So this will be out in September and people can find out about it on your website. It's at hinakoomori.com. Yes, yeah, all the, I think it will be on the WOMAD website, perhaps. Uh, okay, yes. I I can, yeah, I'll send you, I could send you a link to, yeah. But yeah, I think it will be uh, hosted on the WOMAD website somewhere. But yeah, there's some incredible artists involved and I'm so excited to hear everyone's. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I love Real World Studios. I, I mean, I, I would love to. I'd love to visit there one day. I think I have. Well, you must. You should definitely do something there. It's, you'd love it. It's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. God, I'd love that. I might actually. Okay. So round off the, the witch podcast. Um, who is your create? Who is your favourite woman in tech? They can be from the past or the present, or maybe even from the future. Oh, future. Uh, I'm going to say Wendy Carlos. I mean, excellent choice. I, I don't think I really need to say any more, but what an incredibly inspiring, yeah, incredibly, yeah, incredibly inspiring person. Like all of Wendy's output was just, yeah, beautiful. And I feel like I've got a lot to learn from, from everything Wendy's done. Yeah. Well, it's just incredible to think that every, especially from the earlier records, mm-hmm. every one of those notes was cut individually and then reassembled together and yeah all of the work I mean Wendy Carl's completely changed my life all of the work she did with Stanley Kubrick mm-hmm. just the whole Wendy Fantasia in fact I have a box set somewhere um in my collection and there's some recorded audio of her being interviewed talking about the well-tempered clavier mm-hmm. so I think I need to get that off the shelf yeah, and give it a listen to because yeah, she is just so phenomenal. Um, well, thank you so much, Hinako, and I can't wait to see you in real life. Thank, thank you. Cannot wait. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Hinako, for this week's interview. And thank you all for tuning in and subscribing. Thanks to The Rattle for all of their technical support on this podcast. You can find out more about Witch at Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.com forward slash Witch. You can go to Witch.com to find out news and updates and to sign up to our monthly newsletter. Until next time, thanks and goodbye.